Say with me, Jesus has something good for me today. Amen. When you're hungry, the Lord is for you. When you're hungry, the Lord fills you. When you're expecting, he meets us there. So I want to welcome everybody watching my live stream. I want to welcome all y'all. I want to encourage you to share the stream. And we bless everyone here and we bless our viewers uh, in Jesus' name. Uh, so yeah, it's all well. All's doing well. So we're doing John chapter 12. And so we're going to talk about John chapter 12 a little bit. And so John chapter 11 closes with Jesus healing Lazarus from the dead. And so we talked about that. And after Jesus heals Lazarus from the dead, the Lord leaves there and go, Alex, I don't know if I talked to you about this. I gave you another map. Did you get it? Watch how good Alex is. I don't even have to tell him, right? He reads my mind. Throw that map up there. Go ahead. Just trying to give you guys an understanding of where everything's going on. So he heals Lazarus here at Bethany. Bethany is a city outside of Jerusalem. Jesus was over here. There's another Bethany over here. This is where he was when he got the news about Lazarus and he waited and then he traveled here and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And the Bible says after he does that, he goes back north to this town called Ephraim. And the reason that he goes up there is because they wanted to kill him, right? So he kind of heals Lazarus, drops the mic, and then leaves town. And he goes up to, to, uh, to Ephraim. And while he's up there, the, what he does in Ephraim there is Luke 17, 18, and 19. There's a ministry that he performed in there. And if you're interested in what Jesus was kind of doing in between, when he left Ephraim before, or when he left Lazarus, went up north, and then he ends up coming back down for the Passover, and so he's going to come back down to Jerusalem. But in between those weeks in between, he goes up to Ephraim and he does a ministry in the north and he does some amazing things up there as well. John writes this gospel so that you can believe. John's gospel is the gospel of the whosoever. Your name's in the Bible. Do you know that? You're a whosoever. Your name is in the Bible. Say, my name's in the, in the book of life. That's even more amazing. But he writes this book. It's called the Universal Gospel written to the whole world at the end of the gospel, he says why he writes. He says, these things are written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Manoganosh, the one and only, and that in believing in him, you would have life in his name. This theme of life with John is huge. You know, one of the things I look at when I'm going through the book and I try to look at it in a different way when I'm studying it or teaching it, something that keeps standing out to me is John was really into life. Like this word life. In him was light and that life was the light. In him was life and that life was the light of men. John 1. John 10. I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. He's all into life. He loves life. Say with me, there's a difference between being alive and existing. Jesus promises us life. It is a Zoe life in the spirit. It is a spiritual life. It is not a bios life. It is not a suke life of the soul. It is a, it is a uh, pneuma life of the spirit, but it's not just the word pneuma. It's the word Zoe. So it is a life outside of the spirit. Our spirit is called our pneuma. The life that Jesus gives us is called Zoe. It is the animate life of the spirit. It is what it means to feel alive, to be alive, right? Drugs can't do it. Some of y'all tried. Yeah, yeah. Relationships can't do it. Some of y'all tried. Success can't do it. Some of you have, all have tried. Let's watch this really great documentary on John McEnroe. Anybody like tennis? 
not that I was into tennis, but I like, I like biographies. I like to watch the stories of people's lives. He said, I was the number one tennis player in the world. He said, and I was empty. He said, I had everything. And he said, and why don't I feel different? Because success can't fill the void. The fact can't fill the void. Just watch another documentary on Marlon Brando. Say, you're like a documentary guy. I am. I am. And Marlon Brando said the same thing. Said I had everything. Won an Oscar, top of my game. And he retreats to an island in Tahiti Tahiti, because he he didn't feel alive. He said, I felt numb. He said, I never felt more distant from myself than when I was at the top. Isn't that interesting? Because success can't do it. The only one who does it is Jesus. There's life in the spirit, right? And so John's all into this life concept. He says, he was the son. First John, he even writes it in his, in his later letters. First John, he says, he was the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. So you, when you have Jesus, you have Zoe. And here's, here's the real kind of disconnect for me is that we're born again Christians and yet we don't experience the life of Christ because we, we let that power lie dormant. We let it lie dormant. It's like, Jesus, you're a toaster, and he puts you in front of an outlet, but you never plug into the wall. You got me? The animate life of Christ comes through experiential worship with him, yielding yourself into the spirit and allowing his presence to come and animate you. That's the Zoe life. That's not the religious life that we teach, our safe for the whole family doctrine that we teach, that we create these encounters Th- those are all great where you come and you get a Ferrari on the stage and the pastor repels from, you know, comes in like a rock star swooping off the stage. Worship leaders jumping and kicking like David Lee Roth. Say, who's David Lee Roth? Google it. Some of y'all are like, who's David Lee Roth? Right? <laughs> Who would it be? I don't even know. Post Malone, right? He's pretty lively. You know, kicking like Post Malone. And we're like, wow, but, then we, but the, the life is in the spirit, man. This is the inner connection that he wants with us. And we leave it dormant. Don't leave it dormant, man. Jesus gave his blood to give you the Holy Spirit. He said, it's to your benefit that I go. Wait a second. If it's to my benefit that you go, the Holy Spirit, his presence and power will be greater than my being here with you. Because my presence with you, he will come and he will animate you. He will come and he will interconnect all of you into a body, into a powerful force united as one. That's what the spirit will do. So his presence and his power in your life is greater than me being with you physically. What a statement. Yet we neglect the Holy Spirit all the time. (laughs) I don't know why. I don't know why. We went to a lunch the other day and we were talking and... uh, uh, one of our elders who's living in Michigan, Hank, he was in, um, he was in town. So we went to, we went to breakfast with him we started talking about the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, we won't be here for six hours. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. I'm like, I'm all in now. We're going to talk all day about the Holy Spirit. Let's go. I mean, the Holy Spirit, don't neglect the Holy Spirit. If you don't know how to encounter him, you have to ask him, you know, he's a teacher. He will lead you into truth. He will teach you all things. He will take from what is mine and make it known to you. John says he's a teacher. He's the instructor of the kingdom. You don't think he can teach you how to relate to him? Holy Spirit, teach me how to relate to you. Holy Spirit, teach me how to connect to you. Holy Spirit, show me the barriers that prevent me from giving more of myself to you. Because that's what it's really about, is emptying ourselves and allowing more of him to come. We must decrease, he must increase. 
So Jesus lays Lazarus from the dead. He goes back up north. He's in Galilee. This is all in Luke 17, 19. The religious leaders want him dead. So I'm going to read for you the first, first part of John chapter 12. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus goes to Bethany and where Lazarus had been raised from the dead. So he goes to Ephraim, then he comes back south. This is the Passover he's going to be crucified at. First 12 chapter, first 11 chapters of John cover three years of Jesus's ministry. The last eight chapters of John are going to cover the final week of his life. So you can tell where John's emphasis was. You know, his emphasis was on the last week of Jesus's life. And so Jesus is coming down. He's going to be crucified at this Passover. He knows it. And he comes down and he stays with Lazarus. And he says, they made him a supper. And Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of costly oil of spikenard. And she anointed his feet and wiped her feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrant aroma of this oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would be later betray him, says, why was this oil not sold for 300 denarii? It's a year's wages. Not very costly. It was only a pound of it. One pound for one year's wages. This he said, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he carried the John in, and it's like he, he, he had the money box, and he, re, and he used to take what was put in the offering box for himself. And then Jesus said, leave her, say with me, leave her alone. That's right. Come on. Everybody say with me, leave her alone. She does this for me and prepares me for my burial. This is what she says. The poor you have with, always, with you always, but me, I'm, I, you don't always have me around. Now, a great many Jews knew what, 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 that he was there, and they came not for Jesus, but they came to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plot to kill Lazarus. Can you imagine? Because of him, many of the Jewish people went to Christ, went to Jesus, and they believed. So he goes to Bethany six days before the house of Passover. This story is told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And Matthew, Mark, Luke, it, they tell it that it's in a house in Bethany of a man named Simon the leper. Okay, so they're in this house and they're having a dinner party at a house called a man named Simon the leper. These dinners would take hours, hours. This wasn't McDonald's drive through They would literally sit the whole evening and they would leave at night. And so there was a very communal dinner, lots of courses. And if you've ever been to Italy, you know you're not getting out of there in less under two hours. And can I get a witness? You go to Italy and you think you're going to get fast food. You're sitting down. You better give yourself two hours to eat because the food comes in courses and they're making it in the back. They're not ripping open a bag and throwing it in the deep fryer. They're literally making it for you. And so long, long dinners, they would take hours, they would recline. And so foot washing and foot cleansing was part of the deal. Usually your feet would be washed when you came in. Why? Because you're laying around a table. You're all laying around a table. Everybody was getting acquainted with each other's feet. You know what I'm saying? So they would typically wash their feet when they came in or have their feet washed. But Mary's doing an anointing here. So you're laying around a table and your feet aren't washed. It's kind of gross, right? You're like, Simon, man, you need to wash those funky corn chip toes, bro. Seriously? You're sticking those in my face while I'm, while I'm trying to eat, some, you know, some, some, some food here? What? And all the ladies would be there, and they'd be like, oh, wow, where'd you, is that a pedicure? Where'd you get that pedi at? I love that color. Where did you get that color at? So there was an acquaintance with people's feet, which is another thing that comes to mind. Jesus has had an integrated dinner party. 
men and women together. See, the Jews had these rules where the men didn't eat with the women. Their rule's not his. Every time you see Jesus at a dinner, he's at an integrated dinner party. He goes to the house of Simon the tax collector. It's an integrated ten dinner party. It wasn't women over here, men over here. That was a rowdy party. Jesus would be at Simon's house. These are tax collectors. These are brothers who had a lot of money, and they were social. They were uh, religious outcasts or spiritual outcasts. They were loaded with coin, so there'd be probably, you know, I don't even know what the flex is on the liquor, but you know, uh, Johnny Walker. You know, there would be all. They, they would be flexing it all. They'd be popping bottles. That's what they would be doing. There'd be women sitting on the brother's lap watching Jesus teach. They, they didn't have any heirs. These were the people that they were. And Jesus sat among them while they're popping bottles and there's prostitutes in the room. And he's there and he's teaching them. And he's at an integrated dinner party, the house of the broken. He's in Bethany. He's at the house of the broken, right? We're so high and tight. We're so religious, <laughs> you know? We don't realize Jesus goes to the house of the broken. He was at the house of the broken. The most powerful stories of Jesus' of the gospels come out of the house of the broken. Bethany means house of the broken, outcasts. They couldn't stay in Jerusalem. Oh, no, 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 no. Tony, we love you and all, but you know, you know, the reputation of your whoever, you can't stay here. You got to go live in Bethany. Now you can be close, but there, there were all rules that God never laid down. And so you see Jesus not abiding by their rules because they weren't his rules. They were cultural rules, church rules, not kingdom rules, church rules. Your rules, not mine. You know, that blows the hair back on some people's, you know, blows the doily off some of these churches' heads, you know, because they're your rules, not mine. He's at an integrated dinner party. If you contrast that with what he was doing at Galilee at another Simon's house, he's in Galilee and he's at the Simon, the, the Pharisee's house. And it's all the religious, home, 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 home. all the stuffed shirts are in the room. The righteous, the religiously correct, they're all in the room. And a woman comes in. This is another place where Jesus had his feet washed by, and she starts weeping. She was healed by Jesus, and she was freed by Jesus, and she's weeping over his feet with tears and washing her hair with his tears. And the religious Pharisees like, ha, this guy was a prophet. He would know what manner of woman is touching him. Yeah? There weren't any women in the room. That was the only woman. So here's a bigger question. Here's the bigger question. How did Simon know she was a prostitute? And here's another question. How was it that she could get into Simon's gated community oh so easily? Has she been there before, Simon? Hey, little hypocrisy in your face, Simon? He said, Simon, when I came to your house, you offered me nothing. You honored me in no way. Because they all were used to honoring themselves. They would honor themselves. That's the way they would do, just religiously honoring themselves. Modern day academia, you know, think of the Oscars where everybody just accolades themselves, right? You ever watch the Oscars? It's just, oh, you're just an amazing artist. You're just a world changer. You're an actor, you know? But where everybody just honors themselves, it's a complete and total exercise in narcissism. And that's the way these guys were. It was just a narcissist. Oh, oh, Dr. So-and-so, you're just so amazing. Oh, 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 right? And Jesus said, you paid me no honor. He wasn't even asking for it, but he notices it when it's not there. Because honor creates access. And that woman could access him because she honored him. She honored him. She had nothing to give him but gratitude. Huh? Interesting. 
Just a thought. Just a thought. That's all we're doing. So three years, so this is where we're at. So people are making a special trip to Bethany. So here's what's going on. The Passover's coming, right? Jesus is in Bethany. He's in the house of Simon the leper, right, who was healed. He wasn't a leper now. He was healed because he wouldn't be living there if he was still a leper. He would have to live in a leper colony, but he was healed. So it probably looks like something like this. Jesus healed Simon, and they were required in the Bible to, when they were healed and cleansed of leprosy, to present themselves to the priest. Now, it's interesting when they presented themselves to the priest, what God asked for. He asked for two separate offerings. The first offering included two birds. The first bird was to be sacrificed and, and placed in a, in, a, uh, in a clay jar and released with running water. Earth, the end of the flesh, that's the kind of concept there, the release. And the second bird was to be let go free. That was the first offering. The second offering happened eight days later. This is all prophetic. Eight, days, eight is a number of prophetic new beginnings. So the brother has been cleansed. He's been rightfully off. He makes an offering. You see the offering thing? You know, you can't get away from this offering thing, Christian. Every, the, the, the leper's cleansed, the, and he still had to make an offering. He still had to come before the Lord and pay him the honor that was due his name. Really? Yeah, it's right there. He made an offering. And, got, and then the second day, in eight days later, the day of his new beginning, right? Cleansed. Leprosy is issues of the flesh. Issues related to your former life. That would be what modern-day leprosy is. Yes, it's a physical ailment, but if you want to look at it in modern terms or even in prophetic terms, it's issues of your flesh, the issues in your life, the carnal issues that consume you and destroy you and cause parts of your life to fall off. That's what leprosy is. And Jesus is a healer of the issues of your flesh. Can I get a witness? (laughs) He had to make an offering. The second day, this is really cool. The eighth day that he had to show up, he had to shave all the hair on his body He had to get new clothes, right? So you're really flexing, man. You're really feeling free. You're hairless, right? Got yourself some some really smooth linen going on. And the priest would anoint him with oil. And he would have to present before before the offering, he would have to come with two lambs. The first lamb was the atonement of the sin. And the second lamb was to bring him back into fellowship. So he had to bring a fellowship offering and he had to bring a sin offering. When the priest would make the sin offering, he would, anoint, he would take the blood of the sin offering and put it on the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right toe. That is the same consecration that the priest goes through when they enter their office. So what is God saying? He's to be reconstituted and reconsecrated into the community of priests. You know, because the whole people were intended to be priests, even though that wasn't the way that went down. But God still saw them that way. He, he, had, he had the same consecration that a priest did. He had oil dumped over him, and then the priest was to take the fellowship offering. And what the fellowship offering was is that the priest would make an offering, and then he would take certain parts of the offering, and he would burn it before the Lord. Then other parts of the offering, the priest would eat some, and then they got, say, got some. And then the other parts of the offering was barbecue. He would sit down and have a barbecue with Jesus. It was that they would eat that lamb in communion, in commonness together. So his sin was to be atoned for. He was to be restored positionally into God's line and God's household. And he was to be restored in fellowship and communion with the Lord, cleansed. Yet that's not what they did, right? They put him in Bethany. They, they said, oh, you know, you're cleansed in everything now, Simon. But, you know, your past is really a problem. You know, what you did last Tuesday, it's really a problem. How many times are you not allowed to let go of your past? 
How many times do people, places, and things never let you forget your past? They never do, right? Whoa, you know, hey, you know, we just, we're just, we're like that. We're judgmental, arrogant people who like to judge people, put them down and leave them enslaved. How many times can you not let go of your past? You can't let go of your past. You're enslaved to a standard that God does not place upon you. You're born again. You're cleansed of the issues of your flesh. Hallelujah. Say, it doesn't look like it. It doesn't matter. He calls you what you are long before you get there. You've all got dysfunctions. Don't hide it, right? We're all here together. Jesus is here. Tell the truth, right? You're egotistical, arrogant. You don't listen sometimes. You're broken. You're fallen. You know, you try and it's not good enough. Things fall apart. You put it back together. They fall apart. We're all broken people. We all have issues. But positionally, you are restored and you are accepted in fellowship. They would never let them forget their past. You do not have to carry the labels of it of somebody else's version of you. You don't. The only label you're required to carry is the label that God puts on you. You are not, say with me, I'm not my past. I am not my choices. I am not my failures. I am not my successes. I am not my present. I am not even my future. I am who Jesus says I am. Your identity doesn't come from any of those things. It comes through him. And when you got that right, you can live towards that. That's really the issue. We hear too much noise and we let people relegate us to Bethany when God's not expecting you to be in Bethany. That was not his rules. He didn't lay that down. That's why he didn't have a problem going there. It's not, these, these are your crazy rules. These are your psychopathic rules. Did I say that? No. Well, then we're not exiled, man. I'm coming to your house. I mean, you see it all the time. Zacchaeus, he goes to Zacchaeus' house. It's nuts. He goes to integrated dinner parties. So he's at Bethany. So what's happening is, is they're at Bethany and Passover's coming. So all of the people are coming to Jerusalem. They're coming for the party because Passover was a party. Woo, we go into the Passover. Oh yeah, it was a week long. You imagine a week long party? And some of the families are like, oh my gosh, that would be the camping trip from hell. But anyway, it was a week long party and all the people were coming. They were required to come and they're all taking excursions to Bethany because it was just a few miles away. They're all renting scooters, you know? Gonna go out and see the guy that was raised from the dead doing bus tours to Bethany. Standing outside Lazarus's house, coming for the show. Lazarus is popping, huh? But he's got haters. He, somebody say it. I know it sounds, it's slang, but you can say it. Say it. If I don't have haters, then I'm not popping. That's right. If you don't have haters, you ain't popping. Lazarus is pop. If you don't have haters, you ain't popping. So if Lazarus is, Lazarus is popping and he's got haters, they want to kill him. Thank you. Thank you very much. She's laughing. That's awesome. Right? Jesse's laughing at my jokes. High five, Jesse. Right? I know they're corny, but they're jokes. Nonetheless. So these, all these people are coming to Lazarus's house. They want to see Lazarus. All these things are going on and the people and the, and the priests want to kill him. They can't deny the miracle. So they've got to do damage control. They can't deny the brother was dead. We know that. He's alive now. We got a verifiable, bona fide miracle. We've had a few of these since Jesus showed up, but this one's pretty big because this one goes to the core of resurrection and power. Yeah, they're partying back there. So this one goes to the, part, the, the resurrection and the power. And so they want to kill him. They want to kill him. It's insane. 
So they call this the anointing at Bethany. I like to call it the dinner party at, at Bethany because there's all kinds of crazy characters at this dinner party. Having a dinner party, Simon, the former leper's house with Lazarus there. You imagine what the conversation was going, going on. So how's it feel to no longer be a leper, Simon? You know what I'm saying? They would be talking like that. Oh man, dude, you are dead. What did you see? Oh man, I was dead. I was in this place. I saw this light. I heard Jesus's voice. I mean, it was crazy. And they would be proved that there was an eternal life, that there was an everlasting life and that they would live forever. That was the testimony Lazarus presented. Is that when you're dead, you ain't dead. Dead doesn't mean you're dead. You, we live forever. And we will live with him, in him, or we will live without him. The choice, that we, the choice of what you do, we do with Jesus has massive consequences. And so the cast of characters, the first character here is Martha. The Bible says Martha served. Martha, I love Martha because Martha gets a bad name. Bad name because we all know the story. Lord, tell Mary to get up and help me. And Jesus says, she's chosen what is, what is necessary right now, Martha. So everything, Martha, busyness, busyness, busyness. And so as if busyness was a sin. If you know the story of Martha and what actually is going on here, say, wait, Martha was a doer, right? Some of y'all are doers and people beat you up because you're doers. It was Martha who sent the message to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. She got up and she said, somebody needs to take charge of this situation, right? Mary was the feeler. So Mary was all distraught and feeling. Mary, Martha's like, no, no, no. I got to take, somebody's got to take charge of it. She not only sent the message for Lazarus to, for Jesus to come, she went, she went to go find him. She met Jesus halfway. Jesus was on the way and they met together. And then they walked back into Bethany. She did. She was a doer. She took charge. She was serving. Servitude is the highest value of the kingdom culture. It's not diminished. We act like servitude is something, oh, we know we just got to sit at the feet of Jesus. We got to sit at the feet of Jesus. What Martha missed is in her busyness, she couldn't see the needful thing that was right in front of her. But it doesn't mean that she shouldn't be busy. It doesn't mean that she shouldn't be serving. It's true. Servitude is the highest value of the kingdom. Why? Because it's the nature of the Godhead is servitude. Father serves the Son. Son serves the Spirit. Spirit serves the Son. Spirit serves the Father. Jesus serves the Father. Jesus serves the Spirit. They're mutually serving one another. It's mutual servitude. It's the very nature and essence of the heart of God. They're preferring one another. It's what it is. It's a, it's a preference one to the other. It's a love relationship. None of them are exalting themselves above the other. They are working collaboratively to bring about the common goal of the council of the Godhead. Servitude is high. It's the nature of the Trinity. It is commanded of us. We are commanded to serve. You know what Luke 12 tells us? In the kingdom, you know who serves the servants? Who will serve the servants in the kingdom? Anybody have an idea? His name starts with a J. His name is Jesus. The Bible tells us Jesus will serve those who served him, not those who followed him or claimed his name, because servitude doesn't look like that. Servitude is not that. Servitude is service to his house, service to his people, and service to his purposes. And servitude costs you something. Jesus wants servitude and not complaining. Just a thought. So here's Luke 12. Let your waist be girded and light your lamp with fire. We're supposed to be burning, alive. And you yourselves be like men who serve 
the master. When he returns from the wedding, when he comes and knocks, they will open to him immediately. And blessed are those who are serving and waiting for the master. For when he comes, will he find them watching? Assuredly, I say to you, he will gird himself and he will eat and serve them. Jesus will serve those who serve him. There's a special meal, and y'all, not everybody's going to be there. The ones who serve him, now that doesn't mean anything in the kingdom, there's going to be a little special sesh for all those who serve Jesus. You got a breakout session, right? Special dinner, all the servants are coming, and the master himself will serve those who served him. And some people will be, some people will be in the kingdom, and they'll be outside looking in because it was, in too, it was too inconvenient for them to serve. It was too inconvenient for them to give. It just, it just messed up their schedule too much, right? Messed and went, messed with them. Oh no, that's just inconvenient for me. I can't do that. I can't do that. Everyone can do something. Not everyone can do everything, but everybody can do something. He uses this word doulos, not dikonos. So there's two words for servant in the Bible. Doulos means bound unto him. Dikonos means serving out of obligation. That's where we get the word deacon. You serve out of obligation. But doulos, you serve because you're bound to him. And he uses, blessed are the doulos, those who are bound to me, who know me, and they bind their lives to me, and they serve me out of that heart, not out of obligation, not out of pretense, not out of the vanity of men. They serve me because they are bound to me. Those are the ones. Those are the ones. He will serve those, serve his house. And this word watching The Greek word means doing their job. Blessed are the servants who he will find watching. You know, this is what the Christians do. Like we all got binoculars and we're just standing there, staring up at the eastern sky, waiting for Jesus to come. I'm watching Jesus. I'm watching. I'm doing what you're saying. That's not what he says. It's not what he's saying. It's not telling me to stand outside and watch for him to come. He's saying, blessed are the doulos, those who are bound to me, who serve out of the heart that is bound to me, who don't complain. Mm, who don't do it for these stupid reasons and the glory and, the, and all these other things. They serve because they know me. And he says, watching, they do their job, right? Some of y'all run companies. One of the most frustrating thing is when people won't do their job. OMG, you know? How do you think Jesus feels? We don't do our job. Do your job. Nothing, things that men overlook are the things that God esteems. What is esteemed by men is despised of God. And what is esteemed of men, what is despised of men is esteemed of God. Men esteem vanity and self-promotion. And there's nothing wrong with position. Those things are part of the deal. But it's not position for the purposes of pretense. It's position for the purposes of honor and a greater revelation of who Jesus is. And you say, I'm serving and no one sees. I got news for you. Jesus sees. Jesus sees. He sees. Nobody recognizes me. The Lord recognizes you. And this is an exercise in character, Christian. You serve and God sees. And he's the one who promotes you. I became a pastor because I used to preach the gospel. I was taking out the trash, man. I tell this story all the time. I used to take out the trash. They need the chairs set up. I set the chairs up. They need the garbage taken out. I was taking out the garbage. That's what I was doing. And I was like, isn't Jesus amazing? Jesus is amazing. And I'd just be talking about Jesus while I'm taking the grass garbage out. One guy looks at me and goes, man, you should be a preacher. And I was like, what? 
It never even dawned on me. Because all I was doing, I was a doulas. I'm bound unto him. His heart belongs to me and my heart belongs to him. And whatever he asks me for, he can have it. He can have it. Hmm? Where are you? That's the big question. Where are you? Understanding what he's saying. We need to clarify the scripture to understand what he's saying. Blessed are the doulas who are doing their job. And I will serve them. Huh? You know what's going to be? Kingdom's going to happen. Angel's going to get up there with the mic. And he's going to go, all right, we're calling for the doulas dinner. All y'all do losses, and you're going to get a little special sash or something like that. You're probably going to get like a, a flex bag. You're going to get like one of these little grab bags because you're going to go. And, everybody, and those people that didn't serve, didn't do anything, that just kind of sat, were never, 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 never were inconvenienced because they couldn't go a Sunday without washing their car. Oh, God, no. I can't serve Jesus. I got to wash my car today. That's the whole point that Jesus is saying to Mary or to Martha in the other text. He says, Martha, the dishes will be there tomorrow. Martha, the dishes will be there next week. Your laundry's piled up. I get it, but I'm here. Leave the laundry, Martha, and come sit with me. He didn't rebuke her service. He re rebuked her perspective. Her service is honored. You guarantee Martha's going to be at the Dulas dinner. Yeah. She'll be probably sitting at the head table because she got the woman got a bad rap. Are you going to be at the Dulas dinner? I'm going to be at the Dulas dinner. Huh? <laughs> Jesus will serve you. The master will pour the wine. Not everyone's going to be there. They'll be in the kingdom, but they're not going to get to the Dulas dinner. I don't even know what the Dulas dinner is, but I want to go to that Dulas dinner, right? Say, so how do I get there? You can sign up and serve here. The basic standard of servitude is to the house. The minimum standard Jesus sets down for the Christian service is to serve his house, entrusted to the stewards, those who keep and lead my house, serve in the house. Now, I don't believe now, I know some of you have been abused through servitude. I, 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 and those of you out there have been abused through servitude. And I've seen the stories and I see how churches treat people and they treat them poorly. They treat them very poorly. They burn them out. They burn them out. They, they put excessive demands on the volunteers right? There's no excessive demand on the volunteer here. I mean, it's basically a couple hours a month, you know? I, I've watched stories where they put demands of 30, 40 hours a week on some people. Unreal. And pay them zero. That's, that's, that's wrong. That's completely wrong. But that doesn't discount the call to serve. There's a complete imbalance in that, unfortunately. And megachurch pastors, if you do that, you were wrong. You were wrong. You're wrong. They're wrong. They should never do that. You should never do that. Ever. You should never abuse people like that and make people that make people like that, make them slaves and put excessive demands. That's what Jesus rebuked to the to the Pharisees. He said, You put demands on people that you won't bear. You want everybody there at 5 30 in the morning to set up. Are you there at 5 30 this morning to set up? Are you there? I was. We did the whole schoolyard thing. I was there. I was there in the morning, in the a.m. I didn't come rolling in at the end. I was with them. I understood what they did. I worked with them. I got it. And if I wasn't willing to set up the chairs at 5.30 in the morning, then I shouldn't expect that of other people. <gasps> I told you, know, pastor, you know, I don't understand that. And you don't understand what God expects of servitude. You don't get it at all. And if you're putting demands on people that they cannot, that you yourself will not bear, you're expecting too much. 
You don't want to bear it, but you expect everybody else to bear that burden. That's wrong. That's when, the, that's when everything is out of balance and out of whack. Creating teams where people serve, creating teams where people commit amounts of hours and, and give, we all should give. All should give, but not all should, but we shouldn't be abused. And that's another story for another day, but that needs to be said. Because even when I say you need to serve the house, there are people immediately that cringe because they've been traumatized through abusive ministries that do nothing but take advantage of those people. That happens. Then you got the heartfelt people that just want to serve. And then you got this other group over here that won't do anything. I don't do anything. It's too inconvenient for me. Oh, no, no, I can't do that. that that's inconvenient. You need, you, that group needs to inconvenience themselves a little bit. If you're in that crowd, you need to inconvenience yourself a little bit. Just saying. Just saying. So here you have Mary going to the last dinner. Then you have, then you, or Mary, you have Martha. He wants Jesus, wanting, she shows us God wants servitude and not complaining. The Bible is extremely clear on this. You want to serve, you want to get involved, we have signups. You can absolutely do that and get involved and be a part of what God's doing here. And you get to come to a killer party. You get to come to your own do. We do a do last dinner, don't we, Marcus? Every, every Christmas, we do a do last dinner. As we're on earth as it is in heaven, that's what we believe. So we do a really beautiful Christmas party for all of those people who serve here. It's our own do last dinner. Then we have Mary. She's the next character here. She's the feeler. Mary's the one who gets the blazing glory. Oh, Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. We all need to be like Mary. Do we? Do we? Mary was bound in a wad when her brother died. She was so bound by her emotions, overwhelmed with grief, she couldn't even move. The sister didn't even get up out of the chair until Jesus was already in town. Mm-hmm. Say this with me. Sometimes the emotions will overwhelm me and paralyze me to, and, to, and not enable me to see what's on the way. Jesus was on the way and she was so paralyzed by fear and loss, she couldn't even see that Jesus was on the way. Hopeless. <laughs> it's over. He's on the way, man. He's on the way. He's on the way. Right? Faithless until he walked in the door. Then she's the woman of faith and power. Who are you? Are you a person of faith and power while he's on the way? Are you a person of faith and power only when he walks in the door? Yeah, that's right. So this is what we see with Mary. And Mary, this thing with Mary is that each one of these has a beautiful context to it, and it also has, like, something that would deny us. Martha's problem was she was so engrossed in servitude that she lost perspective. Mary's issue was she was so bound with, with feeling that she couldn't see what was coming. She was blinded to what was coming. She was blinded to the promises that God had for her. She was blinded to what Jesus was bringing her way. So we see this power of servitude with Martha and with Mary, we see this power of lavish love. This woman gave it all. The woman who was bound by fear and emotion, she gave it all. Everything she had. She gave it all. She held nothing back. She goes and brings a pound of costly spikenard bound in alabaster box. Whole story there. 
Spike nerve is extremely expensive. It was the embalming ointment of the pharaohs. The Jews carried embalming ointment, even though they didn't embalm, but they carried the spice tradition from the pharaohs, the pharaohs or from the Egyptians. Alabaster was carved on the northern end of the Sinai Peninsula. Interesting. Yeah. Spikner and alabaster. Some believe it was this was so costly as they believe it was an heirloom. They believe this traced back to the Exodus itself. Now, wouldn't that be? Now, you can't prove that, but it's plausible. She anoints the Passover lamb with an ointment that was brought out. That's freaking killer, right? That's amazing. Now, is that true or not? I don't know. But it makes a beautiful prophetic story. And if you look at it in context, you can see where alabaster came from. It came from the peninsula of the Sinai. And the, the Jews, the, the, the Egyptians, were big traders in spikenard. It was nard. It was a powerful. It comes from, it's called from a musk root. A musky root, right? Gotta get some musky root, George. You gotta like, Time to musk up, bro. Got to musk up, right? She gave it all. Mary goes and anoints him. Bible says, and she, John says she, she put it on his feet. Mark, Luke, and Matthew don't say who the woman is. Jesus is like, it's Mary. Those three guys don't tell you who the woman was. It just says a woman did this and they anointed her head. Jesus is like, well, it's Mary. She didn't just anoint her head. She anointed his feet. And she wiped his feet, her feet, with her, his feet with her, with her, you know, her hair. Yeah. You know what that means? She let her hair down. She let her hair down and worship. Hmm? That was a thing you did not do. That was uncouth in that tradition. You didn't let your hair down in public if you were a woman. You didn't do that. You didn't let your hair down in the company of men for sure. Let alone in a company, a mixed company, Jesus, she lets her hair down and she worships the Lord and she anoints her feet. Do you know why? Because she didn't care. She didn't care. She didn't care. The only one that she cared about was the one that was sitting in front of her. She didn't care what people thought. She didn't care what cultural norms or was acceptable, right? Some of y'all need to learn to let your hair down, right? What do you, you know why? You know why? Because you know what Jesus says when they rebuke her and they correct her? Leave her alone. He likes it. He likes it when you let your hair down and worship him. He likes it when David dances in his underwear. He likes it. So we're going to do something, right? We're all going to do it. Say, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Yes, you are. If you're married, you want you to look at your husband and say, you're doing this. So just stand on your feet. I'm going to do it too. I'm on camera. Are you kidding me? I just learned. Come on. Come on, Chris. You can do this. Let's do it, right? I learned a new word this week. It's called baltering. Anybody know what that means? It means to dance in an unsophisticated and uncoordinated way. So I want you to do a little baltering for Jesus. Come on. Let's do a little dance in your unsophisticated and uncoordinated way. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on, Carlos. Come on, Carlos. Get up. Come on. Unsophisticated and uncoordinated. Now get yourself a partner. Come on, Tony. Unsophisticated and uncoordinated. Yeah, come on, come on, Balter. Balter. We're baltering for Jesus because he likes it. <laughs> Let your hair down. We're starting a new worship style here at Elevate. It's called baltering. So if you see somebody in the corner doing that, you're going to say, 
Somebody's going to say, hey, man, what's that dude doing? I'm going to say, he's ball turning. <laughs> you need to jump in sometime. That's, a, that's called a balter move right there. <laughs> Let your hair down. Worship the Lord. He loves you. And he likes it. He likes it. It's like your grandson's scribble coloring for you. Look what I, or for your, some of you parents, look, mommy, look what I made. Looks like a mess, but you like it, don't you? You're like, baby, you can keep making me those scribble drawings all day. Right? Doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but it means something to you. Your baltering moves, your whacked out stuff that we got going on, don't mean anything to anybody else, but it means something to him. Mary pouring that oil on his feet didn't mean anything to anybody else, but it meant something to him. Got it? She let her hair down. He didn't rebuke her. Ladies, he didn't rebuke her. Good God Almighty. He didn't rebuke the women. How many times do we rebuke the women? Good God. It screams through the text. Mixed dinner party. Unthinkable. Socially unthinkable. <laughs> unthinkable. We're too righteous for that. Jesus isn't. And he's as righteous as they come. You can't get more righteous than Jesus, right? He's Jehovah de Sid Canoe. He is righteousness. Yeah? He's the source of what is right. And he likes it. <laughs> this is what changed me. What changed me was when I realized that when I need to get past my things, all the things everyone's told me and what's acceptable and what's not and stepping in and start pulling some balter moves because that's Jesus's thing. Baltering's not my thing. It's not. It's probably not your thing, but it's Jesus's thing, right? And if Jesus wants me to balter, I'm going to balter. David danced before the Lord. It doesn't say he danced coordinated, does it? We don't even know. We think we, we, we portray like David's like Barishnikov, you know, like leaping. Ballet. Whoa, look at David dancing so beautifully in excellence. He might have been out there baltering. <laughs> we don't know. And Jesus is like, my boy. <laughs> and then we got Judas. He's at the dinner party through you. You know why Judas criticized? This is what we said. We know what actually the Bible says in Matthew, that it wasn't just Judas. They all chimed in. All the disciples chimed in, judging the woman. Ha! Why is this being wasted? Does this woman not know? Is she ignorant? Is she foolish? What's wrong with her? They all chimed in. So Matthew tells us. It wasn't just Judas. Judas led the charge, and they were all like, Yeah. Not to be left out. If you're sounding righteous, Judas, then we want to sound righteous too. Yeah! <laughs> Judas was not free in his own heart, so he despised those who were. He was not free in his own heart, so he despised those who were. He sounded noble. Oh, this should be sold and given to the poor. John's a commentator. You know, John was probably more opinionated than people believe. Everybody thinks Peter was opinionated. John was very opinionated. He's given his opinion right here. When he talks about living water, he says, this was done by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy, he spoke of the Holy Spirit. When they run to the tomb, John says, the disciple whom Jesus loved outran Peter. I just want everybody to know that. 
that I beat Peter in a track meet to the tomb, right? He's very opinionated. He used the pen. He says right here, Judas is a thief. Judas was a thief. Judas didn't care. And right after this, Judas goes and makes a deal. When he realizes he's not going to get the 300 denarii and the money box, he goes and cuts a deal with the priests right after this. He was critical, he was indifferent, and he was judgmental. This is what we have to look at in our lives. The nature of Judas is critical, indifferent, and judgmental to the freedom that Jesus brings to us. We look at things critically, we look at things judgmentally, and we look at things with indifference. I mean, which means it doesn't matter. And we do the same thing to ourselves. We critique ourselves to no end. I mean, I think the most painful thing is critics are critical of themselves. When people are painfully critical of others because they're painfully critical of themselves. Jesus is never critical of you. He corrects you, but he doesn't criticize you. Big difference. And his correction even looks like this. Kevin, if you want to keep doing that, you know, I just wanted to let you know you're free to do that. But if you would like, I can show you a more excellent way. But hey, it's up to you. He corrects you, but he doesn't criticize you. He doesn't judge you, yet we judge ourselves. And when we judge ourselves, we judge everything. That doesn't mean there's no right and wrong, right? That's not what it's talking about. Or we become indifferent. We don't care. Woman's washing Jesus' feet with his hair, and 12 disciples don't care. They don't care. They don't care. You see how disconnected from honor they were? They needed the Holy Spirit to wake them up. They needed the Holy Spirit to go. That's why when they got the Holy Spirit, they were like, oh, wow, because they were so dull. Jesus even asked them, have I been with you this long and you're still so dull? Are you still so blind? Walking with me for three years and you're still so dull, you don't get this? You don't understand this? High expectation. That's a very high expectation. I'd be like, I don't know if I would get it after three years. You know, you know what I'm saying? He's speaking kingdom to these people and he's expecting them to know it three years in. I was like, I don't know if I can handle that one. But they were critical and different and judgmental. Hmm? If you are that way and you see that nature, you need to look at yourself first and say, where am I critical of my own self where the Lord is not critical of me? Where am I judgmental of my own self where the Lord is not judgmental of me? Where? I could tell you everywhere. Anywhere that that exists, that's not the nature of the Lord. He's not like that. He's not like that at all. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. He wants to draw you forward. He wants to draw you out of where you are. He wants to bring you up, wants to bring you out, and he wants to bring you through. This is who he is. Higher. Not leave you the same. Transformation is the power of this gospel. Indifference, not caring. God has something for you. You should care about that. The Lord has a kingdom. You should care about that. The Lord's given you his spirit. You should care about that. He portrays worship as honor and baltering. <laughs> you should care about that. Freedom. Let your hair down. Extravagance. She was extravagant. She gave a gift that was worth a year's wages. Is that nuts? Oh, we can't do that. That's not stewardly. Yeah, well, when you don't give it, it's stingy. Just a thought there, too. He never has a problem with extravagance. It's the thing that blows my mind. He's not sitting down giving a lecture on stewardship. Now, Mary, if you would have taken this year's worth of wages and you would have sold it, you would have invested in this stock portfolio, you could have multiplied this 10x. Do you know why? Because he's El Shaddai. Whatever you give him, he gives it back to you. 
and resources and things that resources cannot buy. This is who he is. Ideas, concepts, intellect, open doors, avenues, all of these things. He gives it back to you. And it's amazing to me. He's an extravagant God. He's all sufficient. Come on, just say this. Holy Spirit, teach me the ways of extravagance. Teach me your extravagance towards me. Let me experience your extravagance towards me. And then teach me to be extravagant towards you in every way. Jesus said, let her alone. It was an act of love, it was an act of generosity, and it was a prophetic act. An act of love, a lavish act of love. Mm-hmm. Mary the feeler couldn't get moving, but once that chick was, she was bound with fear, but she was lavish in love. You understand? Big time moved by her emotions. When fear came, she would collapse. When love's in the room, she was all in, right? Act of love, act of generosity, and an act of prophetic. Jesus said, she's anointed me to my burial. as a prophetic act. Man, we just need to do things for the Lord. That's just a prophetic act. My faith, Father, we do this. My faith, we declare. My faith, Lord. Right? Sign up. Start giving. Let your hair down. Say it with me. Put your hand on heart. Say, sign up. Start giving. Let my hair down. <laughs> she didn't worry about the room full of critics. Huh? Critics don't count. Critics don't count. She didn't care. She's in a room full of critics. And she didn't care. (laughs) The crowd comes. They came for the show. They came for the Lazarus and Leper show. They just, they come on their scooters and in their bus tours, doing a little excursion before the holiday. Hey, let's go to the Lazarus and the Leper show. Let's see what's going on over there. The question we have to ask, do we ride with Jesus until something better comes along? Do we ride with Jesus until the heat of the day and we feel we can't bear anymore and we go another way? Are we with him for the entertainment value? Or are we with him because our hearts are bound unto him? Those are the questions we have to ask ourselves. All of us have to ask these, these questions. And we have to become determined in our heart that I will not be this, I will be this. Amen. Because on account of him, many people came and believed. This is the last group. They're just people that wanted to believe. They were looking for something to lay hold of. They were looking for something that was greater than their life. Right? Like the Incredibles, the little boy pulling up on the scooter looks at Mr. Incredible and he's like, what are you, look, what are you, wait, what are you looking at? And he says, I'm waiting for something incredible to happen. Yeah, that's these people. They were looking for something incredible. But Jesus is Mr. Incredible right? He is Mr. Incredible. And they wanted something to grab hold of, to lay hold of, that would take their, that would, they could live, that they could be part of something that was greater than themselves. And they could connect to someone who would show them greater meaning and greater depth because they were lost, clueless, and they knew it. A lot of them didn't know it. They had all the answers. But the ones that know they're lost, the Bible says the kingdom is for you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. When you know you're broken and you don't have the answers, Jesus is the answer. And so if you're here this morning, if you're watching my live stream and you don't know the answers and you've never given your life to Jesus, today's your day. Today's your day. Bible says we have a sin problem. We're born separated and he came to bring you back into the family. Just like that leper, you got issues of the flesh. And when you let Jesus cleanse you from the issues of the flesh, he restores you positionally 
and he invites you into the fellowship of his family. But you must give your life to him. The Bible says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has risen from the dead, we'll be saved. It's a prayer away. It's a 40-second prayer away. It's that simple. Absolutely. Say, that's too good to be true. No, it's so good. It is true. Yeah. So we're going to pray. Elevate's going to pray with us, and we want you to pray with us at home. We're going to unite our hearts. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, just open your heart. He can do many things, but he can't open the heart of a man or a woman. You have to willfully cooperate with that. He can move on your heart. He can knock on the door. The Bible says he knocks on the door of your heart, but you've got to open it. And let Jesus just knock on the door of your heart this morning if you've never given your life to him. And when you hear him knocking, and you will, just say, I don't know, I'm just supposed to do this. Then give your heart to him. Today's your day. Just pray with me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.